Uh, let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful to be gathered as your people. And Lord, as we are gathered, we pray that your spirit would be at work among us to grant us understanding, to grant us repentance, the ability to be corrected, the ability to trust you to live in obedience to your word. Lord, we pray that the result of hearing your word today and your spirit's work in us is that we would better reflect your goodness and righteousness and truth to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for the past month and a half or so, we've been learning a lot about the church as the body of Christ, a body made up of every person who has genuinely believed in Jesus. Uh, We've learned that the members of this body should work together for the good of the whole body, especially by speaking the truth in love to one another and by living in a way that reflects the character of God. Uh, But did you know the body of Christ has something like an immune system? Now, our body's immune system is uh, made up of specialized organs and some other parts that maybe aren't organs, but they're designed by God. The system is designed by God to counteract the effects of foreign uh, organisms, foreign substances that could get into the body and weaken or damage it and prevent it from functioning the way God intended. Um, Our immune system is not a medication that we take from the outside and put into it when we need it. It's built into the body, so it's always there ready to protect the health and proper functioning of our body. And we'll see today that this sort of immune system in Christ's body is also always there, ready to go, but it's not made up of a separate system, specialized parts, but every part of the body that works properly to to promote the health and growth of the body also is part of this system to protect the body from threats. Now, last Sunday, Tom taught us uh, from the previous passage uh, some of the reasons that the body of Christ needs something like an immune system. Uh, In especially verses 6 through 9 of chapter 5, we see these kinds of ideas, that we, the followers of Jesus, were formerly darkness but now we are light in the Lord. We are children of light, and we're expected to produce the fruit of light, goodness and righteousness and truth for the good of the body of Christ. But we have to produce that fruit of light when there are forces inside us and outside of us fighting against us so that we don't produce the fruit of light, so that we participate instead in the deeds of darkness, so we go back to our old sins, So those forces, those influences are a danger to us and to the other parts of the body of Christ because, as we've seen, the good of the whole body depends on the proper functioning of each individual part. Now, if you are here today as someone who is not yet a follower of Jesus, we are glad that you are here, and I just want to tell you that you'll hear me say a lot of things specifically addressing those who are followers of Jesus because the letter we're studying was written to Christians, to followers of Jesus. But I I want you to keep this in mind as you listen. Um, Paul says in a different letter that he wrote that those who have come to know Jesus have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Jesus. And one of the reasons that it's so important that we as followers of Jesus 
produce this fruit of light, this goodness and righteousness and truth, is that God wants others, God wants you to see in us a reflection. It's a, not a perfect reflection, but a reflection of His holy character. He wants you to see reflected in us something of His light so that you'll be drawn to Him in faith and that you too can be transferred from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son, Jesus, who died for us. That's one of our great hopes as we talk uh, in a fair bit of detail and with a bit of urgency about our job as Jesus' followers to produce the fruit of light. Now, the main idea in verses 15 to 21 of chapter 5 of Ephesians is that God gives us what we need so we can produce light in the midst of darkness. In these verses, Paul tells us what we can do as children of light to produce the fruit of light even in the face of strong opposition from darkness. As we work through this passage, we will move rather quickly through the more general instructions of the first three verses and then spend more time, because Paul spends more time, on the more specific and practical instruction in verses 18 through 21. But in verses 15 and 16, we see that a light-producing response to darkness is careful, wise, and urgent. Again, in, in these verses, we get some general perspective on our response to the danger that darkness presents to our efforts to produce the fruit of light. And that perspective will help us to feel the importance, hopefully, of the more specific instruction that's coming in the following verses. Paul writes in verse 15, be careful how you walk or live, not as unwise men or people, but as wise. Therefore, tells us that what Paul's telling us here is connected to what comes before, to what we heard last week about the danger of darkness preventing us from producing the light that God created us to produce. Um, be careful tells us that there is real danger and we don't have the luxury of being careless. If we aren't careful, we could easily fall prey to the influences of darkness. So what does it look like to be careful when there is danger? Well, Paul continues. He says, not as unwise people, but as wise people. Unwise people are careless when there's danger, but wise people, on the other hand, are, are careful. Maybe not cautious, but they're not careless. So living as Christians, as children of light in this world, comes with dangers, as we heard last week. And Paul is saying that ignoring that danger, putting ourselves in tempting situations, isolating ourselves from Christian fellowship, resisting accountability, is not just careless, it's unwise. It's foolish. It's putting ourselves and, remember, the rest of the body of Christ, uh, body of Christ at unnecessary risk. In the next verse, verse 16, we see that a, a careful response to darkness is also an urgent response. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Why does Paul tell us to make the most of our time? He tells us, because the days are evil. The days, the times in which we live, this era in history, and the era during which Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus are characterized by evil. The general trend outside the church, and it affects us inside the church, is away from God, away from obedience to His commands, and toward evil. 
which is harmful to people and undermines God's purposes for the world and for the church. Paul doesn't say that evil days are going to come, and so we should get ready for those days before they come. He says the days are evil. The evil is already present. So a careful response, a wise response, response is an, an urgent response that doesn't put off doing what we can to protect ourselves and the body of Christ from the danger so that we produce the light that the world and the church need. The light that reflects God's character to the world. Now when we get to verse 17, we get a little more specific instruction about what this careful, wise, urgent, light-producing response to darkness looks like. And we see here that a careful response to darkness pursues understanding. And specifically, understanding of the Lord's will. Listen to verse 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Notice, do not be foolish or do not be ignorant really repeats the idea we saw in verse 15. Don't be as unwise people. Paul is focusing our wise response on something more specific than general wisdom. He's focusing on understanding of the Lord's will. And the words understanding and wisdom are very similar words, similar ideas. They both mean something more than mere knowledge of facts. Wisdom and understanding refer to the ability to apply knowledge to real-life situations. Paul's command reminds us that it's possible to be Christians and still be relatively ignorant or unaware, lacking knowledge, lacking understanding of the Lord's will. We don't have to, thank goodness, we don't have to understand all of God's commands or all of His purposes in order to experience His saving grace. But the less we know, the longer we go without that understanding, the more vulnerable we are to misunderstanding or to false teaching. I think we see an example of that in last week's passage. It seems that Paul is responding to a situation in which there were non-Christians, people not following Jesus, trying to convince Christians that it's okay to continue to indulge in immorality and impurity and greed. And you can imagine a a Christian, maybe a a young Christian, thinking, well, if salvation is by grace through faith and not by works, then maybe it doesn't matter if I do those things. But that's a, a young Christian that lacks understanding of what Paul was teaching later in that passage last week, that Christians are not just forgiven people, they are people who have been transformed from darkness into light. Therefore, it doesn't make any sense at all to continue to live as darkness. That's the kind of understanding that Paul wants us to have. When we understand the Lord's will, we aren't crippled by the fact that not everything, not every situation we might face is covered by a specific command in the Bible. There are dangers and temptations of new situations that the the Bible's writers never anticipated. So you're not going to get any kind of a reference to the internet or to road rage or how how much it's okay to to enjoy sports. We we don't have commands that cover everything. We, We have godly wisdom and we can apply understanding of things like what kinds of people God wants us to be not just what kinds of actions are specifically commanded 
or prohibited. There's an ever-increasing number of the, the deeds of darkness that we could participate in that could prevent us from producing the fruit of light for the good of the body. And a careful, wise response to that danger involves or includes pursuing understanding of the Lord's will with urgency as a priority. Study your Bible often. Put yourself in places where you hear the Bible taught well. And pursue understanding, not just knowledge. So as you're listening to sermons, as you're listening in a class, as you're reading the Bible, don't just ask what are the facts, but ask what is God aiming to do in the world and in our lives? What kind of people does God want us to be? That kind of understanding of the Lord's will will protect you and all of us from the deception of darkness so we can produce the fruit of light. So, we've seen so far that a light-producing response to darkness is careful, wise, and urgent, and that it pursues understanding of the Lord's will. And now we get some more specifics as we get to verses 18 to 21. We see that a light-producing response to darkness pursues the Spirit's influence. Now, before telling us what should influence us so we can produce the fruit of light in the midst of darkness, Paul tells us what should not influence us. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Paul tells us not to get drunk, not to have our way of living influenced by wine or other alcohol. Um, He doesn't tell us, so a little disclaimer here, he doesn't tell us not to consume any alcohol at all, only that drunkenness is prohibited. But, so, and this is this little final word on alcohol. It's not a sermon about alcohol, right? But as we make decisions about alcohol consumption, we can't just look at Ephesians 5.18. We need to look at what the Bible teaches elsewhere, especially in the New Testament, about how our decisions affect other members of the body of which we are a part. That will be a significant factor in our personal decisions on this, in these, this matter. But back to the text. Why does Paul prohibit drunkenness. The phrase here is a little bit hard to translate into nice English. The translation here says, for that is dissipation, but literally it says, in which is dissipation or debauchery. Uh, First of all, the sense of the words dissipation or debauchery, not words we use very often, um, is wasteful living. It's the word used to describe the way, the wasteful way of life of the prodigal son when he prematurely requested his father's inheritance and then wasted it uh, in all that he did after that. So certainly, becoming drunk can result in dissipation or debauchery, a, a wasteful way of living. But Paul seems to be saying a little bit more here. He seems to be saying that the decision to drink excessively, the uh, decision to become drunk, is in itself wasteful, not just the result. So if you're a child of light who is expected to produce the fruit of light, and therefore, as Paul said in verse 16, to make the most of your time or to make the most of every opportunity, you shouldn't waste time and opportunity by putting yourself under the influence of alcohol or any other substance that makes it easier to be deceived and to foolishly participate in the deeds of darkness. Instead, 
we're commanded to put ourselves, verse 18, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians, Paul uses the, the words fill and fullness to refer to maturity or completeness. For example, in chapter 4, verse 13, the parts of the body are to build up the body of Christ, then, quote, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature with, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Paul is calling us to be influenced by the Spirit in a way that brings us closer as individuals and as a community closer to the mature and complete way of living that is less vulnerable to deception and that does a better job of building up the body of Christ and of producing the fruit of light. Because the influence of our old habits, that old way of life we talked about four weeks ago, um, because of ongoing temptation, because of the influence of the culture around us, our old friends especially, because those influences are so powerful, we need to be influenced by something more powerful. And that something more powerful is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, uh, I wish you'd all been uh, down in uh, the foundations class this morning getting an introduction to the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, God the Spirit, a person, not a mysterious force. And it, the Holy Spirit is the way in which God indwells every true believer of, in Jesus. How do we put ourselves more under the influence of the Holy Spirit so we experience this fullness and produce the fruit of light? Well, the answer depends on how you view the relationship of the four phrases in verses 19 to 21 to the command in verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit. Now, because Paul likes to write really long sentences, he makes problems for modern Bible translators. So if your Bible shows verse 21 as starting a new sentence, the way uh, the Bible's under the seat in front of you um, have it, the way my Bible has it, just want you to know, verse 21 actually continues the sentence that started in verse 18. And in fact, so does verse 22, which seems to start a whole new section talking about marriage. Um, they're all part of one long sentence. So how are these four phrases, or five, we won't get to verse 22 this week, uh, the four phrases in verses 19 through 21 related to the command to be filled with the Spirit? The traditional answer is to view these phrases as describing the results or the evidence of being filled with the Spirit or by the Spirit. So you get filled with the Spirit by confessing sin and praying for the Spirit to fill you, and then you'll do these things as a result. And it's tough to argue against the claim that when a Christian is influenced by the Holy Spirit, he or she will do the things described, and we'll get to them in verses 19 through 21. But I'm convinced that Paul is actually saying something more than that here. With these four phrases, Paul is telling Ephesians and us how to pursue being filled with the Holy Spirit, how to bring ourselves more under the influence of the Holy Spirit so we can produce the fruit of light in the midst of darkness around us. Not everyone agrees with this interpretation, but it's a legitimate option, whether you're reading it in, in English or Greek. Um, I've spent 
quite a lot of time on this one over the years, and um, I just invite you to consider this possibility. We'll land on common ground at the end, I promise, if you think that I'm out in left field here or I spent way too much time in school, which I probably did. Now, first of all, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with praying to be filled with the Spirit. I prayed that standing over there during the last song before I came up to preach. Um, I'm just saying that I think Paul is telling us that there are some things that are less mystical and more practical and concrete that we can do, not to manipulate the Holy Spirit in any way, but to cultivate an environment in which we, as individuals and as a community of believers, are more and more influenced by the Holy Spirit. And if this is right, then we can be influenced more by the Holy Spirit by speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. When we worship together by singing, it is definitely for God, but it is not only for God. It is also for the other members of the body who need to hear the truth about God joyfully and confidently celebrated. Two weeks ago, I got to stand right over here. Just the memory of it gets me. It gets me. Uh, I stood over here between the end of the Lord's Supper and the, the close of the service, and I got to hear you all singing in my general direction. And I tell you what, my heart was so encouraged that I was trying to figure out how we could keep singing and parade everybody up here like a row at a time to get a turn to experiencing what I had just experienced. We need to hear each other sing. When we speak or sing truth about God to each other, we, we understand how that works at the level of our minds as an intellectual process. We hear others express confidently what we might be struggling to believe. And the expression of that truth and the confidence in how it's expressed convince us that it really is true and it helps us to believe it. But I think that Paul's telling us that something even more. As people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells sing songs that in some way the Holy Spirit inspired, those who are singing and those who are listening, and you can do both at the same time, are brought to a greater extent under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit does something to move us toward that fullness, that completeness, that maturity that is beyond the effect of people simply speaking truths to one another and hearing those truths. In the second of these four phrases, we have a hint that singing has more than a mental effect on us. We see uh, towards the end of verse 19, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So when we sing, two things happen. With our mouths, we speak or we declare truth about God to other members of the body of Christ, even if we're not addressing them directly. And with our hearts or in our hearts, we sing to God. We sing to each other and we sing to God. Now what matters to each other are the, the words that we hear audibly as we speak or sing. What matters to God is what's going on in our hearts. Not simply having our emotions stirred up because emotions can be manipulated, but a sincere, heartfelt response 
to the glorious truths about God that we are reminding ourselves of as we sing. So when we're singing, let's pay attention to what's going on in our hearts. True worship happens when we worship with our hearts, when we express our praise and our need and our gratitude to God in our hearts. Of course, this happens best when the the Holy Spirit is making it happen in our hearts for us, but even when He isn't, we can be thoughtful and intentional. We can just acknowledge where our heart's not lined up with the words that we are trying to sing. We can meditate on the truth about God, listening to others declare the truth in word and song so that our hearts get involved. So we invite more of the Spirit's influence in our lives and in our church, and as a result, we're better able to produce the fruit of light in the midst of darkness. Now, the third phrase that I would argue uh, tells us how we can bring ourselves more under the influence of the Holy Spirit is in verse 20. Um, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Now, don't get tripped up by the command to give thanks for all things. That is a much bigger ask than 1 Thessalonians 5, which tells us to give thanks in all things. Uh, Believe it or not, when we see the word all, there can sometimes be exceptions. We have a a good example of that a few verses later in verse 24 of Ephesians chapter 5. So here we should understand Paul to be telling us not necessarily we have to be thankful for tragedies themselves um, or for sin itself, but that we should actually express our thanks to God for everything that it is proper to be thankful for. The point is to actually pay attention to notice all the good things that God's done for us and given to us, and then actually express our thanks to Him, probably around other people who can be encouraged and brought into our expression of thanksgiving, similar to speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I think that Paul's saying that when we make a habit of giving thanks in the name of Jesus, To God the Father, the Holy Spirit gets involved by exerting a greater influence over us and bringing us toward that fullness or maturity. So let's make a habit of taking an inventory of what God has done for us, what He has provided for us, so we can thank Him in the hearing of other people. If we're focused primarily or exclusively on what we want or need but don't have, it's so easy to overlook what God has already done. And we can, as a result, fail to thank Him, which seems to limit our ability to produce the fruit of light. Now, the final phrase that tells us how we can bring ourselves more under the influence of the Holy Spirit is in verse 21. Remember, this is a continuation of the sentence that started in verse 18. So literally, it is, um, be filled with the Spirit, verse 18, submitting or being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul seems to be saying that we can bring ourselves more under the influence of the Holy Spirit by submitting ourselves to others in whom the Holy Spirit lives, whom the Holy Spirit has gifted for service, and to whom we are spiritually connected in the one body of Christ. So how can we submit to one another? Well, just imagine after the service, two of our ladies standing out in the commons having a conversation. 
One is speaking some truth in love to the other, while the other listens intently. Which lady is submitting to the other? It's a trick question. I would say that both ladies are submitting to one another. The one speaking the truth in love is serving the one who is listening, showing that she considers this other lady, her sister, to be so important that she's going to take her time to speak words of truth for her edification and for her good. In fact, she was already submitting earlier to the, this sister earlier in the week when she was planning to have something to say when she came in to meet when she knew we would be gathered together. She had been submitting in multiple ways for quite some time. And the lady who is listening is submitting to the one who is speaking by listening, showing she respects this lady because the Holy Spirit dwells in her as someone who could actually have something to say that she needs to hear. When we speak the truth in love to one another and listen to that truth, we submit to one another. We, we do mutual submission in the body of Christ. But we can also submit to one another by serving, perhaps using our gifts, perhaps just meeting a need the best we can, even if it's not something we're great at. If we consider ourselves or our own needs too important to make the effort to sacrifice to serve others, then we are not submitting to others in the body and we're limiting the work of the Holy Spirit in our body and in our own lives. We have a lot of people at Cherrydale who are serving faithfully. Some are serving in three, four, five different ministries. I don't know how they do it. Um, we have some other people at Cherrydale who aren't serving at all. And we know that some of you might be in a season of life where all you can do is just get here. And the thought of serving doesn't seem possible. And we know that there are valid reasons for that, and it's okay. We do hope, though, that you eagerly look forward to a season when you can serve. But some of you probably could be serving. There are lots of needs, especially in children's ministry, but not only in children's ministry. And I'm not emphasizing children's ministry just because I am married to the director of children's ministry. Tom, Tom emphasized it last Sunday, and he is not married to the director of children's ministry. We, we have some faithful volunteers in children's ministry who cannot imagine what it would be like to be able to take a break for 12 weeks and attend a Sunday class. It's just not even a possibility they can conceive of. But it would, it would be an opportunity to do some more learning. What if some of you submitted yourselves to these faithful volunteers and said, hey, if there's somebody who's serving regularly who wants to take a class in the spring, I would love to give them that opportunity. It would be great for that faithful volunteer, but remember, because you're part of the same body as that faithful volunteer, it would be great for you too. Some of you are the faithful volunteers, and you can't imagine taking a break and attending a class, perhaps because you can't imagine that someone else could take care of your class as well as you do. <laughs> so if someone comes to you and says, hey, I would like to give you a break so you can attend a class for 12 weeks, you need to be ready to submit to them 
believing that they can do a good enough job of loving and taking care of those kids so you can learn more, which is good for you and for them and the kids. Some of you are reluctant to serve because of what they're calling these days FOMO, right? F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. You'd hate, you'd, you're not opposed to the idea of serving, but you'd hate to miss attending a class with your friends, or you'd hate to miss seeing, hearing the sermon live. For you, I'd like to recommend that you consider replacing FOMO with something else. Fupatbamo. <laughs> that's, if you're taking notes, that's F-O-O-P-O-T-B-M-O, Fupatbamo. I googled it, it's not a bad word in another language. Fupatbamo is fear of other parts of the body missing out. The more you care about other parts of the body of Christ, the more you realize that your well-being is bound up to their well-being because you're parts of the same body, the more likely you will be to submit yourselves to one another. Paul actually mentions a different fear as a motivation for submitting to one another. The fear of Christ in verse 21, or reverence for Christ. Deep respect for Jesus Christ our Lord should drive us toward mutual submission to one another. After all, even if we don't think that that other person, that other member of the body deserves our submission, the head of that person is Jesus Christ himself, and he deserves it. It's his body. If we fear, if we reverence Christ as we should, we will submit ourselves to the rest of the body. And remember this, even though the primary place where we practice this mutual submission is our local church, there is one body of Christ with one head. So when we think of submitting ourselves to one another in fear of or out of reverence for Christ, we need to keep the whole body of Christ in mind. We need to consider what it would look like to submit ourselves to other Christians and other churches. Our, our neighbors in Northern Virginia, our brothers and sisters around the world, for their good. And here's what that means. It means that some of us might resist the urge to stay in the church we love forever. Or to hold on to the members we love in this church forever so that some of us can strengthen or start other churches. That would not be an easy thing to do, but I think what Paul's telling us, that it is just the kind of thing that invites more of the Holy Spirit's influence so we can produce more of the light that the church and the world need. So I really think that what Paul's telling us in verses 18 through 21 is that the key to our careful, wise, urgent, light-producing response to darkness is to seek to be influenced more and more by the Holy Spirit, by speaking and singing God's truth to one another, by making a habit of giving thanks for everything that God deserves to be thanked for, and by submitting ourselves to one another, serving and being served by one another. If you still think that these phrases describe the results of being filled by the Spirit and not the way to pursue being filled by the Spirit, that's okay. Pray to be filled with the Spirit, 
but please don't wait until you feel filled with the Spirit to join us in doing these things, speaking and singing and giving thanks and submitting to one another. So, you who were formerly darkness, but who are now light in the Lord, what will enable you to produce the fruit of light in the midst of the darkness around us? Do you need greater urgency? Maybe the primary change that you need to make is in how you understand the importance of each one of us producing the fruit of light and the fact that there are influences inside and outside of us that are opposed to us producing that light. Do you need to pursue understanding of the Lord's will? We can't, we can't walk as children of light the way we're, we should unless we understand God, His commands, and His purposes. Do you need to commit to more regular and more serious study of the Bible at home? Or maybe attending a class where you can study in greater depth and ask questions and get them answered. Maybe you can even just listen differently to the preaching and teaching that you're already hearing, making sure that you're pursuing understanding and not just knowledge. Do you need to pursue the Spirit's influence more intentionally? That's definitely something that we can pray for and we should, but Paul seems to be telling us that we can pursue the Spirit's influence in additional ways. Do you need to be more aware of those who hear you sing and whom you hear singing? Do you need to work at making sure your heart and mind are engaged when you're singing? Do you need to be more intentional in giving thanks to God for what He's done for you? Do you need to submit yourself to others more fully, to others in whom the Spirit lives, benefiting from their gifts and seeking their good through your gifts? Or maybe do you need to take the first step towards submitting to others in the body by making a commitment to local church membership? Remember, these are all ways of taking advantage of what the Spirit has already started to do in us in order to invite the Spirit to work in and among us more and more. When that happens, the darkness will influence us less and less, and we can more fully walk as children of light. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that your Spirit would move among us more and more and influence us more and more. And Lord, to the extent that that depends on us, taking advantage of the opportunities you've given us, to cultivate an environment in which your spirit is at work as we serve each other with our gifts. We pray that you would lead us to do that, that you would convict us where we need to make changes, and that we would see you work powerfully among us and produce light for our good, and so that those who don't know you will be brought from darkness into light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.